So this month we're talking about the enduring church. And what does this actually mean? I was thinking about this phrase as I put it up there on the screen. And I thought to myself, the church has endured, hasn't it? I mean, let's, let's think about it. There have been so many times in history where the church could have been put down. Where the church could have been outlawed. Where the church could have been persecuted and resisted. And, and there are places in the world where that is still happening. Yet the church endures. Why is that? Is it because we're stubborn? Well, yes, I have known some stubborn Christians in my days. Uh, <laughs> is it because we are holding on to an outdated and timely tradition that is not relevant today? Well, that's the accusation the world is bringing us, but no. It is because we are the church of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ endured the worst punishment, the worst pain for us and for our sake. And what is happening with this church is that it needs to be refined. Do you understand, people of God? Because the church needs to be the bride that is ready to be received by Christ when He comes. And so for this reason, the church must endure. It must continue. It must hold on to that which makes us the center of who we're meant to be. Sorry about all the sound. I'm going to move this and see if that helps. We need to be the church of Jesus Christ today more than ever. Do you know why? Because while we're being persecuted, while we are a church that is suppressed and repressed, many of us don't know it. Many of us think to ourselves, hey, everything's fine, everything's good. We're living in a heyday of Christianity. But that is just not true. Within the church and outside of the church, there are elements that are trying to quell that spirit of God at work in us. And we must hold on to the reality of Christ that work with us and among us. N.T. Wright, one of the great theologians of the last 20, 30 years. He's a multicultural person. Grew up in French-speaking Canada. Ministers in the Baptist churches of the United States. And he says this. The greatest sin the church has committed has been forgetting discipleship. Forgetting about discipleship. When I heard those words said by this venerable giant in the world, world of New Testament theology and evangelical scripture, I was moved. Because I thought to myself, you know what, you're right. Friends, many of us in this church continue to identify yourselves as Methodists, and rightly so. But do you know what the method of Methodism was? Discipleship. It was coming together, opening the Bible regularly with one another and sharing that together. In fact, in the deep roots of Methodism, this, what we're doing now, will be an anathema. Because they didn't want to meet in churches. They didn't want to have lovely, beautiful buildings. Do you know where they met? Outside, in the field. They sang hymns aloud in order to attract the peasants. This is in the 1600s. To come away from the fields and come and join them in worship in God's original cathedral nature. Somehow we've lost that. 
We've made church about the building, the walls, the facade. And Lord knows the Gold Coast City Council would love to have us maintain this facade for reasons of their own and not necessarily ask us or engage with us as to what we want in a worshipping space. You see, history of church has become more about elitism and prestige than about the impact that church is making in the local community. And how do we do that? Discipleship. And where does discipleship begin? It begins with Christ at work in our lives and in our hearts. I had a student a few years ago, wonderful, wonderful young man uh, from Papua New Guinea. He uh, had managed five-star hotels and Michelin-star restaurants throughout Asia and Australia and the Pacific. He knew how to lead people. He understood how to comply with authorities, manage management, and get what he needed in that space. And he was a follower of Jesus. So I said to him, my friend, we're beginning our journey together in mentorship to the ministry. Tell me, what do you know of discipleship? He said to me, discipleship is about rigor. I said, yes. Discipleship is about sacrifice. I said, yes. Discipleship is about hard work. I said, yes. And I said, where did you learn that? In the kitchen. In the kitchen. Oh, yes, tell me more. With mom. And those of you who have known my story know that my mother was a huge spiritual influence on my life. And I said, yes. But what about church? Oh, church was for singing. Church was for friends. Church was for having morning tea. I said, great, wonderful. This is what we're going to do for our mentorship journey. We're going to have morning tea. Because that's what you think church is about. But we're going to turn it around. When we had a scone, I said to him, what does that scone tell you about discipleship? When we had a cup of coffee, what does that coffee tell you about discipleship? When we had a croissant, what does that croissant tell you about what? My son, I wasn't going to say this. The croissant is stretched, it is crushed, it is squeezed and then put under fire. And when it is put under fire, it rises and the sweet flavors come out. What does that remind you of? Christ. Exactly. And we, like the croissant, need to be prepared to be stretched out squeezed and sometimes yes put under fire so that Christ will emerge as the sweet sweet yeast that raises up in us so we're going to be touching on all of these things in the next three weeks and my prayer is that you will feel encouraged in your discipleship and if you maybe don't have discipleship in your life don't have a method don't have a rigor and you want one Please come and speak to me, Reverend Barry, or any of the leaders in the church. We would love to go on that journey with you. So our reading begins here in Second Thessalonians 1, chapter three, uh, verse 3. My apologies. And I'm going from the fourth portion of the verse. 
Your faith, says Paul to the Thessalonians, is growing more and more. And the love of all, the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast of your perseverance and faithfulness in all the persecutions and trials that you are enduring. When you see those brackets there in the word, my, my friends, that's, that's me. That's the gospel of Esteban <laughs> going in there and just making a little bit of the, the change there. Because, because that word is slightly different from the previous faith. You see, the first faith is in the proper noun. He's saying your faith, that thing that you come alongside of and then expresses itself as faith. That is what he's talking about in the first one. But in the second one, in the second one, what he is describing is something that is endemic, forensic, within. He's saying that you've taken that thing which was outside and now you've made it part of you. You see, friends, this is what discipleship is fundamentally about. Taking what we read in Scripture, taking what we understand from who Christ is and what Christ does, and then bringing that into who we are. Ah, and expressing that lovingly, fully, out into the wider community. I love the fact that the first one is they use the masculine definitive particle, he faith. But in the second one, they use the feminine definitive particle. Why? Because he's talking about the church. The church has a feminine article, she, the church, she. And this again reminds us that the church is meant to be the bride prepared for Christ. And so what we see here is a very simple but very powerful formula for our own discipleship. Faith plus love or the outworking of love equals faithfulness and Perseverance. We have a few ex-missionaries in the house, haven't we? Am I right about this? <laughs> By the way, I don't think you can be an ex-missionary, guys. Sorry, I don't mean to offend. I think you're still a missionary. You just your mission field's changed. Um, but yeah, in missions, you learn that faith and love is what makes that work. What turns it into just a job? Just something you're doing into a vocation, a calling. And this is what I think N.T. Wright was really hitting at when he's saying that the church has lost this fundamental element of what we need to do and who we need to be. Because we've gone to the point where we only want to be in a good and happy and comfortable Christian community. Now, don't get me wrong. There are abusive Christian communities out there. I'm not endorsing being in that space. I'm endorsing being in spaces of safety. But while being in spaces of safety, allowing ourselves to be challenged. To go through perseverance. To go through difficulty. So that then we can move forwards into that new level of faithfulness and understanding. One of these days, I will share with you a much longer sermon on what is faith. Don't worry, it'll be a pleasant sermon. It's not going to be punishment, so I'm not, I'm not menacing you. <laughs> but I really want to do that because I think 
in our Western world, we've forgotten what faith fundamentally is. And we've forgotten how to exercise it and how to express it. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul is, is encouraging the church. He says, about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. Do you know who I thought about when I read that? You guys. I remember coming to this church and feeling welcomed and accepted and embraced. And I know many of you who have come here recently in the last 18 months have expressed the same feeling. So I don't need to tell you about this. I don't need to tell you to call each other when you're sick. I don't need to tell you to offer to make meals for people who need it. I don't need to tell you to donate to the op shop for, to go out for the needy in the community. I don't need to tell you to volunteer or to clean. Keith, can I throw you under the bus for a minute? There he is, my friend Keith. Do you trust me? <laughs> I got the okay. I was so blessed by you this morning. I'm, I'm there preparing the Holy Communion. And Keith grabbed a broom and began sweeping the grass that had been brought in. And I thought to myself, this is your house. This is you showing love for your spiritual home, my friend. And that blessed me. Thank you, Keith. And I'm singling him out. But I've seen so many of you do the same thing. I want you to know something. These little things that you do don't go unnoticed. We love them. We love you for them. But more importantly, God notices. God sees. That simple gesture of love can be so meaningful. So powerful. So I'm not going to tell you about how to love each other. Because you know. You know to call each other. You know to pick up the broom. You know. But how do we turn that into part of our discipleship? How do we turn that into something that everybody can see? Paul says to the Thessalonians back in the first letter, which he studied in February, he says, I urge you, we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. Because there are days when we don't want to pick up the broom. There are days when we are finding it hard to just come to church. There are days where we are challenged to love our neighbors. In those days, it is so, so crucial that we remember that we are encouraged to do so more and more. In speaking with my young friend, in discipleship, I would say to him, discipleship is those times when we don't feel like we can step up to that next level, but we know we have to. The good news, dear friends, is that we don't do it alone, do we? We do it with Christ. And in fact, Christ goes before us to take on that challenge in our place so that then all we're doing is following. Didn't he say, follow me? For my burden is easy. This is what he meant. He goes before us. 
Again, looking back at that first part of Thessalonians, he tells the congregation, in your distress and persecution, we, Paul and his friends, were encouraged by you because of your faithfulness. Now, again, there it is, faith, but it goes into the feminine. Why? Because it's part of the church. It's part of the church's identity. It's part of the church's expression. It's part of who the church is. Now, I want to tell you this, my friends. It's so, so hard being a minister nowadays in the Western church because this is one of the things that's the first thing to go. Churches lose their faith. Now, when I say that, I don't mean that they stop believing in Jesus Christ. No. But somehow that hope that we're supposed to understand that causes us to realize Christ is coming and I'm going to comport myself in such a way that if Christ walks through that door right now, I know that He will stretch out His hand and ask me to go with Him. That somehow has become whittled down into ritual, into right, into exclusivity, into judgment. And it's really hard because you meet people who love Jesus but don't know how to get out of that cycle. Again, I'm not speaking to you about this. Maybe this word is is impacting you in your heart. That is unintentional. Please forgive me. I don't mean to do that. But if this is speaking to you, it's because Christ is doing something. But I want to tell you, in this congregation, that is not what I see. I see this as a Thessalonian church and I see that he is saying when we really live, Since you are standing firm in the Lord, we can thank God enough for you in return for the joy and the presence in the presence of our God because of you. There may be times in the future where we do lose that sense of faith, where we do find ourselves being so challenged that it's hard to be followers of Jesus. In a fast-paced world. Because I want to tell you, the world out there is moving at breakneck speed. You can get on the freeway just over here, go 110k, all the way down to the Gold Coast, can't you? No, not down here. (laughs) You can get on the internet. You can find all the information. You can get everything, all of that. Download. Jesus doesn't move at that pace. Jesus moves at walking pace because he knows that he needs to have people who are ready to follow him. So we need to follow him. We need to follow him at that pace. The apostle says to the Thessalonians, we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of God because of you. This, this dear friends, It's part of the joy of a teacher, of a leader in a community like this. But I encourage you to hold on to that faith and keep that faith alive. That faithfulness, a part of who you are. Because in this case, Paul saw it. And part of the exercise our mission action team will undertake will be how can the community around us see it? How can they look at us and see these things? We had this wonderful meeting with the Gold Coast churches on Tuesday. Uh, and there was a gentleman there. Um, uh, 
He's not a believer. He's not part of a church. But he works at the homeless shelter, the Blue Care Homeless Shelters. Um, and someone there, I won't tell you who, she said, you are an answer to our prayers. And he became smoky-eyed. Is that the right expression? He was going to cry. The idea, the notion that strangers had been praying, seeking the divine for someone like him was absolutely alien to him. But it spoke of something that he understood and that is that he was going out into the community to serve and to do a good work. But that he had felt alone. And in that moment he heard possibly for the first time in a long time that he wasn't alone. That people were going before him. He was coming out asking for volunteers. And yet I think that simple expression moved him more than if all of us had stood up and said, you can have two volunteers from each of our churches. It hit to the heart of something that he was longing for and needed to experience. The Corinthian church was a belligerent church. They did lots of wrong things. For that reason, we have some of Paul's most wonderful writings about discipleship that we can draw on. And Paul says to them, if I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I'm nothing but the cracking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, And if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump and it jumps, but I don't love, I am nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Love is the core of faith. Love is why Christ went to the cross. Love is why God loved a sinful generation and sent His Son to redeem us. That love is why we endure. That love is why we do what we do. As Paul said to his church in Thessalonica, I'll say to my church in Pimpama. I don't need to tell you about these things. You know how to love. The challenge is to go out there and do it more and more. Amen? Let us bow our heads in prayer. Lord, you are an awesome God. And we love you. But we want to love in a more deep more profound way in your name for all those around us. Bless us with an understanding of this and equip us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.